So what are the minimum performance standards for your job as a sales professional? I frankly hope you don't have an answer. In fact, I hope you never even think about that question again. Let's talk about why on today's episode of The Buyer's Mind. Welcome to The Buyer's Mind, where we take a closer look deep inside your customer's decision-making mechanism to reverse engineer the perfect sales presentation. Now, please welcome your host, Jeff Shaw. Well, welcome everyone once again to The Buyer's Mind, a podcast where we talk about what goes on in the brains of our customers. Those people who are thinking about making a purchase decision, we always believe that if we understand the way people buy, we can reverse engineer the sales presentation to make it easy for them to do just that. And today we're going to talk about what over-the-top value looks like in sales and what we can bring. And I was thinking recently about this idea of minimum performance standards. It's a phrase that is used frequently in the corporate world. It's also a phrase that I hate. Joined, as always, by our show producer, Paul Murphy. Murph, uh, I'm just kind of curious. We haven't talked about this, but what comes to mind uh, when I say minimum performance standards? It makes me think about uh, defense contractors getting the the lowest bid on something and uh, you worry about whether or not something's going to actually function in the field for somebody. Yes. Yeah. And so what do you do? You pay attention to what the minimum performance that I have to put forward then in order to fulfill my obligations to that contract. Does that sound about right? That sounds about right. It's such a low way of thinking about uh, careers. And I think, you know, I, I look and I say, you know, as a father, and I know Murph, you're, you as a father as well, we probably feel the same way. The thought of our of our children going out into the work world and saying, what's the least I need to do in order not to get fired? Uh, my guess, Murph, is that you're like me saying that is not exactly the aspirational approach I would want my children to take. It's not. And I have to say, I'm very proud of my boys that uh, they all have really great work ethics. And I feel the same about my children as well. It's such a low way of thinking about a career, definitely a low way of thinking about our customers and the way that we serve our customers. So what is the higher way? What does that look like? Well, it's really about providing value, but not just providing value in the old cliche way. I mean, providing over the top value. I don't mean simply sharing features. I mean, solving problems. And here's my concern as salespeople, we're pretty good about solving problems that the customers bring up, right? That's a big part of our job. Customer brings a problem to me. I'm an experienced uh, veteran. I know what to do. I know how to solve that problem. Here's my question. When we think about over-the-top value, I would challenge you to ask, how are you at identifying problems that the customer has not brought up? Right? It's one thing to be able to handle the issues that they brought up, but how are you are you at solving problems that they haven't brought up? The The best of the best do a great job of solving unstated problems. That is how they provide over-the-top value. And I would say it's not just unstated problems, but I'd go so far as to say unknown problems. And I can remember a time I was I was buying a, a washer-dryer. This was for a temporary cottage that I was, I was in between homes and I was going to be moving into this cottage and we needed a washer-dryer, a stackable washer-dryer. And as I explained the situation to the salesperson and he came back and he said, okay, so you want something that's stackable, uh, front load, obviously, high tech so it doesn't mold, um, mid-range price, but also you said you're moving into this cottage, so you probably want something that has good noise insulation because 
the the laundry closet is probably near the bedrooms. Did I get that right? And here's the deal. I had never thought about the proximity of the washing machine to the bedrooms, but he was absolutely right. Noise insulation, as it turns out, was an important feature, but I had never thought of that. That's what great salespeople do. They solve problems that their customers don't even know about. And today's guest is all about increasing value. He's all about surprising customers with cool ideas and over-the-top service. You're going to love this interview with Mario Martinez. Well, you know, on the buyer's mind, we always like talking to smart people who are passionate about sales. And man, do we have that today. Mario Martinez, the CEO and co-founder of of Angresso, specializing in uh, digital sales expertise. He has done it all in the business and uh, he's one of the most influential people uh, that you're going to see. Uh, He also has a really great podcast. Uh, Obviously, we want you to be subscribed to this podcast, but beyond this podcast, you got to get to the Selling with Social podcast. Really, really strong. He's a sought-after keynote speaker. Uh, he contributes to a, a number of different uh, blogs. You can follow him on uh, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter. We'll put all of that in the show notes. Uh, welcome to the Buyer's Mind, Mario Martinez. Mario, how are you doing, sir? My man, Jeff Shore. I'm, thank you for having me, buddy. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for asking. We've got two uh, NorCal's representing uh, today. I'm up uh, up in the gold country and you're the Bay Area, yes? That's exactly right. Yeah, it's, it's uh, a rare moment that uh, the two Bay Area natives uh, come together here. <laughs> there, there you go. Absolutely. You have just such an incredible history just in reading uh, through your bio and getting to know you a little bit, uh, at least as we can through the, the internet there. Uh, uh, tell us about your your sales history because we got to look at it now. We could say you you're doing all these really really cool things. You're leading this big company. You're you got the podcast and you're contributing. You're a, a truly a thought leader. How did it all start? Well, you know, I guess if I take you all the way back to where it all yeah. began, it, it started out in uh, in retail, actually, as a matter of fact. Okay. And uh-huh. I was a photo finisher. Do you remember the company Ritz Camera Centers? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I used to work in a small little booth uh, at Ritz Camera Cent- Centers in Concord. And uh, I started doing photo finishing. And I was the guy that was making all your pictures look amazing and beautiful. You know, the little bit right. of extra styling and magenta and all that good stuff. I got accepted to UC Berkeley, Cal. So those that are listening know that uh, Cal is the Go Bears. Wait, I, wait, you can't say Go Bears. You're, you're a Gale. You went I'm to a Gale. I know. <laughs> I'm a Cal lover, though. I, even though I, okay. I I was there at Cal for five years, and then yeah. I moved over to St. Mary's, and I finished okay, up over there. It. So I'm a true Bears lover. But nonetheless, okay. I, I I needed to pay my own way through college, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and yeah. so I, I requested to transfer over to the Berkeley store, Ritz Camera Center in Berkeley, and I requested a transfer as a photo finisher and my regional store director came in and he actually uh, said to me, "I will." transfer you as a salesperson. And I was like, what are you talking about? So that was the start of being transferred over to Berkeley where I got sales. And then from then I went into consulting, which is a service. I went into telecom, I went into software. Um, and now I am the CEO of Ingresso, which is a digital sales training consulting company. So retail was where it all started. Yeah. I, I, I have a feeling that most anybody 
who finds himself in that area of expertise in sales, whether you're like you and I in the consulting training, speaking world, frontline professionals, managers, I, I, I think if you track most of them, the majority would say they got their start on the retail side. And that's, that's probably a good thing, right? You're, you're going to learn things when you're dealing directly with the public that are going to change your perspective because you deal so much in the B2B world, but even in B2B sales, the organizations you're selling to, they have to deal with a direct public. And so it's easy to get removed from what the typical consumer is going through here. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, no doubt about that. And uh, you and I talked about this before. And even in the B2B world, our B2B buyers are buying as they do in the consumer world. And we talked about that, that terminology being the prosumer, right? Mm-hmm, um, and sure. I'm, a, I'm a professional consumer of professional goods. So yeah, absolutely. That, that, that world has definitely merged together significantly. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Let's talk about some of the sim- similarities, right? We, we, we see a lot of the B2B salespeople, their enterprise sales, it might be a very long buying cycle and I got to get through eight people in order to get to the decision maker. And you know, that's, that's uh, its own beast right there to be able to uh, pull off. And then you've got the B2B world where you're dealing directly with a consumer. It's, it's largely an emotion-based purchase. But I want to talk just a little bit about your opinions in regard to the presence of emotion. Because when I look at you know, the, the work that I do with companies who are in the B2C space, that emotion is really the key. If you can engage the emotion, and of course by emotion, I don't mean the sappy, syrupy. I, I mean that, that part of our soul uh, that is operating by uh, the gut or how we feel uh, even more than how we think. Right? We, we make the decision with the gut. It's supported by how we think. Uh, how is that different in the B2B world or is it different in your opinion in the, the B2B world? Some would say B2B, ah, forget the emotion. We're B2B. There is no emotion that we know of. No. Um, you know, it's so, so much aligned between the way I buy as a consumer versus the way I buy as a business leader for business products. And I think that there's three key things that I think um that if I, again, I'm, as a CEO of Ingresso, I buy services for Ingresso. So as I think about mm-hmm. this, the first thing that I think about is personalization. Now, if you think about this and the consumer world, if somebody, if an organization, a company understands who you are, you are much more aligned to want to engage with them. Think about it this way. Uh, you've got Netflix. Well, what is the reason why when you turn on Netflix, uh, that Netflix is serving up content to you? things you may have watched recently, you might be mm-hmm. interested in this. Well, the reason why they're doing that is because they understand your buying behaviors and your buying habits. And so as a direct result, they want to help keep you on the platform and drive more personalized personalized content to keep you engaged. The same thing applies for Amazon. Every three to four months, my wife goes to Amazon and Amazon serves up the notification saying, hey, do you want to buy the art of shaving, which is the, the stuff that I use for do, using shaving, right? It's mm-hmm. highly personalized. It's time that you understand what's going on. Then as a consumer, you say, "Mm, how is this product going to help me? Then as a business buyer, you say, how is this product going to help me? Which is the exact same thing that you're saying on the the consumer side. You also are expecting personalization because as a salesperson, if you reach out and that message is not hyper-targeted, hyper-personalized, guess what? You know that you're one of many, 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 many people who's received that message. Mm -hmm. So you're expecting personalization. So if you're getting it on the consumer side, for God's sakes, on Amazon, on Facebook, on Netflix, um, uh, you know, through any Google even, 
right? Quite frankly, sellers should expect that buyers should do that on the B2B side. But the mm -hmm. third thing that, that they ask, which is slightly different than on the consumer side. So first off is personalization. Secondly, how is this going to help me? And then the third thing that's slightly different is, is okay, now how might this help the company? Right. And, th and those are the three things that I believe that buyers are thinking about uh, that only two of those things, the three I just mentioned, are what you would think about from a consumer standpoint, unless, of course, you're buying as an individual solopreneur or entrepreneur. But only two mm -hmm. of those things generally we think about. So the, it's so similar, whether it's on B2B or B2C, in terms of the emotional connection that you will have with a salesperson or a brand trying to connect with you and sell you something. You know, it was interesting. I uh, am just thinking as a uh, same thing as a, the president, the founder of Shore Consulting. And, you know, we're, we're a, a seven figure organization. There's 12 of us here. And and uh, when we look at it, I, I just recently invested to have my um, keynote speaking demo reel, as we call it, uh, uh, reproduced and, and had it uh, very well done. I had three bids uh, to get that done. And I can't, I'm not comfortable sharing the numbers, but Let's suppose that they were $5, $10, and $15, okay? They weren't, but just for easy math. Well, yep. you know, when I looked at it, I said, I, I ended up going with the $15 version. Wh why? Because it was, I mean, that was three times as much as the cheapest bid uh, that I had. Why? Because the person that I talked to at that organization, happened to be video and narrative, uh, Chris West, uh, the person that I talked to, uh, took such a personalized interest in me and my organization. And he, he made it very clear early on, we're not simply selling you a demonstration reel of your speaking skills. We're selling you the platform to help you grow to the business the way that it needs to be grown. And right away, it was like, well, how is this product going to help me? And by extension, how is this going to help my company? But it was a lot of money. And I had cheaper alternatives. And I had to look at that and say, how am I going to make my decision? And you know what it comes down to? I think it comes down to the Maya Angelou quote. People remember how you made them feel. Chris West made me feel good. And because of that, I spent three times what I could have spent with a competitor. That is such a great story, Jeff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to top it off. And if it's okay, I'm going to name companies sure. on this. Okay. Yeah. So we have, we have 14 people. So we, I, we did a survey internally. And we, we wanted to know who all uses what for file sharing per on the personal basis, right? Because we don't have a centralized file sharing secure system. Who all uses what? And it turns out that majority of our, of our individuals uh, use Dropbox. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, this is an easy one. I'll just convert everybody over to Dropbox business. And we need to be able to secure this down, make sure that we've got the right infrastructure. Um, worked with the team and said, well, let's just go to Dropbox. So here's what happened. We went to Dropbox. And not only did we uh, put our information on the contact form, uh, not only did I sit on the phone line for 27 minutes on waiting on hold for to speak to a salesperson, but I also left a voicemail after 27 minutes because I was so fed up and frustrated, right? Left a voicemail. Then two different people from, from Dropbox reach out to me. Uh, sorry, reach out to the wrong person. They reach out to our chief visibility officer. And she refers one of them over. I send, send a message to one of them saying, yeah, let's go ahead and book a call. I've been trying to get a hold of you guys. Another one reaches out, sends it off to our chief visibility officer, says, hey, I'd like to be able to talk to you about um, you know, uh, what's going on. And, and she says, hey, I already talked to you guys. Um, we, have, you know, we, we have a meeting already. And they were like, I don't know what you're talking about. Turns out they didn't even look at their own systems. I get on the phone call with this individual. They had no idea that we had 14 people already with an app, ingresso.com personal address. No idea. 
the rep says, well, what do you want to know? I ask some questions. He answers the questions and says, what do you want to do next? I tell him what, uh, well, I don't know. You tell me what the process is, right? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. he tells me this is how much it's going to cost. Um, and, uh, you know, let me know if you're interested. I said, oh, okay. I was ready to buy. I was ready to right. buy. He didn't even ask me the question. So, yeah. so we get off the phone, not a single follow-up message. Mm -hmm. Then comes the same day, a company by the name of Ignite. Ignite comes, which competes with Dropbox. And this sales rep, has been hyper-targeted, answering every single question. And every time I send her a message, she calls me on the phone, which I, I don't want to talk on the phone. I just want to email. But nonetheless, she's calling me on the phone. We do like six meetings now so far. And here I am about to sign an agreement with Ignite when I don't even have not one person in my organization using their platform. But right. I had 60% of my company using Dropbox. It was just really sad, really sad in terms of not not personalizing, not really understanding the sales process, not understanding how this affected me. And no one even asked. The guy wasn't even prepared for the call to know that I had already 14 users in my company on Dropbox. Mm hmm. Yeah. You know what, Mario, what, when we look at this story, unfortunately, uh, you know, I unfortunately, I believe that story unfortunately, right? I mean, because it's not a right. stretch when we see what happens uh, out there. I think one of the reasons that guys like you and I are so impressed when we see great salespeople is that they give us a, a sense of hope against stories just like this. I, I mean, there are times when I think salespeople are looking for what's the magic formula? What's the super script? What conference do I need to go to? And you and I look at it and go, how about you do the freaking basics right? How about you just learn a little bit about your uh, uh, a buyer before you sit down and have a meeting with them? At times, do you tend to look at it, hit your head against the wall and go, this cannot be that hard? I, I, I'm very saddened by some things that we do as salespeople. And and, and I've been in the industry just as um, just like you, right? I mean, this is my, mm -hmm. my live, breathe and die in sales. In my, in my emails, that stock folder, a little over 120 emails that suck. Uh, mm -hmm. And I have an emails that don't suck folder on my email folders. And um, I had six, six inside there that didn't suck. And you know what the difference was, man? The, the, uh, the, the difference was uh, what we now call like PVC, right? These individuals, they, they personalized messaging to me, which means that they became interested to become interesting. Mm -hmm. Right. They became interested to become interesting. And all that Dropbox rep had to do, all they had to do was before they got on the phone, look in the database about Vingresso and see how many at Vingresso.com email addresses that were on the system that had personalized Dropbox accounts. That's all he had to do mm -hmm. in order to be able to just even get me to the point where I felt like, okay, this guy knew what he was doing. Now, right. the, the problem is, is we put our super, super, super green sales reps on the phone, on the front lines. And I struggle with this because you put the green reps who have no experience on the front lines trying to book appointments and they don't know any better. But if mm -hmm. you followed what, what, what I have always learned when I started out in retail, and when I started out in retail, people, the, my, my district manager, that's what it was, the district manager, he, he, he pulled me aside and he said, look, I can't transfer you as, as a photo finisher. I have to transfer you as a salesperson. I'm like, I don't understand why. Why would I want to go into sales? And he said, did you know 
And by the way, this is this is, his name was Hunter. He had a toupee, by the way. And I I always used to laugh because you can look behind the uh, the hairline, and he had these bobby pins that held his toupee to his head. It was just nice. horrible. It was a horrible toupee, but nonetheless, nice. He was a yeah. smart guy. And he said, "Did you know that in our region, you are leading in third place full time salespeople as a part time photo finisher?" I was like, "What? What are you talking about?" And he's like, "Tell me what you do." to drive equipment sales. And that's when I started really just breaking down what I was doing. And so what I would do is, is I would look at these people's pictures. I would look at the pictures. I was the one that printing them. I could see it was too dark. I could see it was too, you know, too, it was blurry. I could see when they didn't have the right light. And so every person that came in, as soon as they come in, I would ask them, you know, what's your name again? And they would say, you know, John Smith. I'd go and grab John Smith's photos and I'd open up the box and I'd quickly look through the photos. Let me pull out five of these to figure out, you know, to help them to take better pictures. And I'd come and say, John, are these yours? And John would say, yes. And, and I would look at them and I'd say, John, you know, do you realize that these, like, here's a sample of five pictures, that these pictures could be better if you did blah and then blah and then blah and then blah. And they were like, oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Well, what would you recommend that I do? And I was like, well, some of it was buy new film. The other one was, you probably, if you're going to take these types of pictures, you probably need this piece of equipment. And the other one was, well, do you have a different lens, like to be able to capture high speed, you know, sports? Blah, blah. And they'd be like, no, no. Well, where, you know, where, how can I get one? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not sales, but here's here's the here's the piece that I would recommend. And I, I became I very much personalized it to them, to that individual experience as they were going through the buying process, and they weren't even prepared. They weren't even looking at buying. All they knew was that they had a broken problem. So the, how does this help me, right? That question I asked earlier, they knew that they had a broken problem. And so as I started personalizing it directly to them and how they could be, uh, their memories could be impacted with better pictures, that's how I started selling stuff. And so I went over to the Berkeley store and I started doing the exact same thing. Uh, nobody else, everybody else just grabbed grab the film, they grabbed the pictures and they'd say, okay, it's, you know, Mr. Customer, it's, you know, $14.99. Whereas I would grab it and say, oh, before I even talked about the price. And the next thing you know, they're walking out with a $700 camera, right? Mm -hmm, and so right. that's where we start thinking about as salespeople, whether you're on B2C or B2B, we've got to, when we talked about the PVC sales methodology that Vingresso talks about, the P is for personalization, right? That's that personalization. You've got to figure out how to personalize your messaging, uh, your information, your, your research, personalize it to that individual buyer. And then you've got to bring value. That means you have to unearth. You have to understand what the customer problem is. And then you got to get the buyer to validate it, right? Mm -hmm. Especially in the B2C environment. Uh, if you are talking to a customer, you've got to get them to say, I have this problem. Kind of like AA, right? Like I have a problem. And you got to get them to do that. Then you can bring them the value by showing them how to fix that problem. And the final piece is what, what I learned is, um, moving them on to a CTA. So every time, like in the retail segment, I would say, well, you know, here's, here's what you could fix to fix this particular problem. And they say, oh, okay, wow. Well, how much is that? As well, it's X dollars. Wow, okay. And, uh, th and they would say, all right, well, that sounds good. And I would say, so I'll tell you what, why don't you go ahead and take this home now and you've got a 14-day return policy, go snap some pictures with it. And I'll show you the settings that you need to be able to make it work for this, this, and this, and that. Bring them back in and I'll reprint these and let's see if you if it's better. And if it's better, great, then you can keep it. If not, then you just return it as part of the 14-day return policy. Mm -hmm. And guess how many people right. return their equipment? 
Yeah, zero probably. Yeah, very yeah. low percentage, yeah. an extremely yeah. low percentage. So you got to drive mm-hmm. them to that CTA. That's that PVC. The C is the mm-hmm. CTA in the PVC sales yeah. methodology. I love it, and it's it. it you know, the other thing that's interesting about that is the way you just described it, Mario. It sounds like a lot more fun to sell that way versus you know trying to say let me just scream at you through email that that look like everybody else's email. Uh, let me just uh, finally get a hold of you and have a conversation where I really don't even know who you are in the first place. It's an entire strategy based on hope. And uh, it just, it's, it, it doesn't have to be that hard. We're not stepping on Legos here. It, it is a matter of just trying to, to take that extra step to get to know people a little bit first and then helping them to solve uh, their problems. And ultimately, that's what you were doing, right? When you were, when you were selling this equipment, it's looking to say, you weren't selling equipment. You were selling a better photo, a better capturing of the most important moments of their life. That sounds important to me. That's exactly right. It's the memory. And that scenario, it was the memory. Like, yeah. and, and, and so today, you know, like we don't have, I don't, even, I don't even know if people even print photos anymore because it's all digital, right. right? At that point in time, it was a memory. And that's what sure. was personalized. It was t- to their heart. That was to the core. And that's why, yeah. you know, we, we ha- I have this saying called the spray and pray, right? In the B2B world, uh, reps are spraying and praying. They're spraying out emails. They're spraying out cold calling. And they're praying that something will stick. And when you're on yeah. the, uh, uh, a B2C sales rep, especially if you're like in a retail environment and you're on the sales floor, you're kind of spraying and praying as well. You're looking for who's yeah. going to buy. You're looking for those eyes. Well, do they have intent? No, just walk up to the person and introduce right. yourself. Hi, Jeff. I'm Mario. Put out your hand. Mm-hmm. Personalize with that handshake right directly in front of them and understand that person's name. And if you continue talking to them, just using their name alone, you're almost there, right? Just using their name alone, you're almost there. And I, I, the, one of the things that just, I cannot believe to this day that we still have this problem. When I get a email message that says, hi, first name. <laughs> <laughs> We're running out of time, but I wanted to ask you, one of the things that I know that you specialize in is not just the idea of uh, digital sales, but the fact that most of your work and most of the work that you do with clients, you've got a long buying cycle. Can we talk a little bit about persistence after that initial conversation? I'm I'm writing a book about this right now on the subject of follow-up, and I am appalled by the numbers about uh, how frequently there is that presentation, there's that first conversation, and then either we're giving it all up to an automated CRM or we're just doing nothing at all. And if we didn't get that sale on the first go round, we put it back in the customer's court. And now we've got a hope strategy. Can you talk a little bit about persistence after that initial appointment and perhaps even after that customer has said no or not yet? Yeah, um, absolutely. I think this is single-handedly one of the biggest failures for salespeople today. And that is uh, the lack of follow through and the lack of persistence in, in maintaining uh, a, at least a cadence of sales activities that are going to get you um, to the at least to the table between six and eight touches is like the magic number that mm-hmm. I've seen in multiple different studies that show the number of times that you need to reach out to a buyer in order to be able to solicit a response or to get an engagement. Right. But the number of, of reps that stop after two touches is like 90 plus percent. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy to me that we work so hard to churn, 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 churn through people, people, people to find a yes, to finally find that yes, that we don't take the time 
and or that companies have not built in the sales systems and tools to help a salesperson follow through on a sales cadence. Mm -hmm. And that is criminal uh, inside of an organization. And it's, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, salespeople, if your company is not doing it for you, then you've got to take matters into your own hand. And we, we ourselves have what's called a seven-day prospecting um, omni-channel sales cadence that we follow. Um, and on the, this is particularly works well on the B2B side, but we're always going to start, start to get into someone's office, see if we can get to them through a referral. If we can get to them through a referral, that's the money ticket right there, right? And the, the world goes around when you refer somebody in and that's how you get, that's the number one way to get into someone's office. But if that doesn't work, we're going to engage with you through social. Then we're going to email you practicing the PVC method that I, I, I talked about earlier. And then, then the next day, we're going to, which is the, the really the fourth step, is follow them on LinkedIn so they get that notification. The fifth step is personalize, send a personalized connection request. Yes, I'm going to say, hello, Jeff. Uh, and I'm not just going to send you a connection request that you have no freaking clue who I am. And then the sixth step, I'm going to pick up the phone and call you. Yes, the digital sales guy is telling people uh, to call people, to call people. So, but we're still going to practice the PVC method. And finally, that seventh step is we're going to send a video message or an in-mail through LinkedIn. And then guess what you do afterwards after if there's no response, Jeff? Guess what you should do afterwards after all those seven steps that I just take you, took you through? Have a beer. <laughs> That's one. <laughs> Repeat, repeat it all over again, right? <laughs> that was my second guess. Because <laughs> <laughs> you want to go through it and do it all over again because you know we work hard to get to, to, to people. Let's not just keep churning and burning in the in the in the world of sales. And mm -hmm. you should expect your sales organization and company to provide this for you. All right. Very, very uh, cool. Uh, we always do this here on the uh, buyer's mind. So before we let you go, we're going to put you on the hot seat. Uh, rapid fire questions, rapid fire answers. Ready? Ready. Your very first job was what? Uh, photo finisher at a retail store. Well, there you go. Okay. Uh, an album that you, from your youth, that you listen to over and over again. Oh my God. You're, I'm going to be super embarrassed by this. <laughs> um, I probably don't want to admit this, but um, it's uh, New Kids on the Block. Uh, I, I forget what it, uh, the, the name of the album. I was hoping you were going to say New Kids on the Block. That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Uh, the most beautiful place you've ever stood. Uh, in Tahiti uh, on the island of Bora Bora. Very nice. Uh, a book that you read early in life that had a profound impact. Uh, I can't say early. Oh, early in life? Mm. You take whatever you want. You, you'll, I'll give you some liberty. How about a book that had a profound impact? Um, it's a book by Mar um, uh, Marshall Goldsmith. What got you here won't get mm -hmm. you there. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, a movie you've seen multiple times, doesn't matter when it comes on, you have to watch it. The Goonies. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, your first celebrity crush. Oh, uh, I don't know if I had one ever. Uh, maybe, maybe Mariah Carey. I don't know. <laughs> we'll <Okay>. pick her. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. You're off the hot seat. Uh, Mario Martinez, uh, great talking to you. Uh, the company is Vengresso. That is V-E-N-G-R-E-S-O, Vengresso.com. Uh, listen to the podcast. Watch, uh, get, hop over to LinkedIn and follow uh, Vengresso on LinkedIn and just get to know Mario. He's a great guy. He's fun. He's excited. You already figured that out. Let's into this podcast we always have uh, people love having people who are passionate about sales but just are really really good people mario thanks for being on the buyer's mind thanks for having buddy murph I, I love the personalized aspects of sales that mario talked about didn't you 
I did. He is uh, really on top of it. I like what he had to say. Uh, and of course, you know, I'm constantly thinking about how do you personalize? And and as we listen to Mario, it's not just personalized, but it's the passion behind it, right? It's the idea of 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 really putting myself into it. It's a far cry from how we open the show talking about minimum performance standards. It's what can you do that's really over the top. And we're not talking about spending a lot of money here. We're not talking about investing, you know, all all kinds of time that I don't have. Sometimes it's just a matter of getting creative in order to provide value that other salespeople are not willing to provide. Because look, let's face it. If you're going to do things that everybody else is doing, there's no way you're going to stand out. So and for me right now, I'm writing a book about follow-up. So his thoughts on that subject were were most welcome. And I would look at it and say they tied together because when we think about over-the-top service and the ways that we stand out, I think follow-up is a great way to be thinking about that. We need to see stop, stop seeing a follow-up as a drudgery, as something that we do so that we don't get into trouble. Instead, I think we need to see our follow-up efforts as a way to profoundly stand out. If you've got a customer who's considering different choices, if they're looking at you and several different options, what are you going to do to stand out? How can you stand apart? To me, the best way to do that is to stop and think, what are the problems that this customer has that they don't even know they have? What are the issues when I know this customer's life, when I know this issue, this customer's pain point, when I know this customer's future promise, when I start thinking about what they're moving away from and what they're moving what moving to, how does their life fit into all of that? Surely I can think of a creative way to be able to provide help, to be able to provide an answer to a problem that they have not even brought to my attention. And I want to challenge you today to look at it and say, who am I working with right now? Somebody who's considering making a purchase decision, but they haven't made that final step. Now ask, what do I know about their life? What do I know about their life, about their issues, about their problems, about those hangups and those things that nag at them? Now, based on what you know about their life, what problem can you solve? How could you step in and say, you know what, I was just thinking about you and what you're having to deal with this and this over here. This might be completely apart from whether they're going to buy, but if you looked, you said, you know, you're having this issue over here in your life that you mentioned, you might want to consider this. I did a little research and I found this for you. The idea here is just a little bit of creativity will dramatically help you to solve a problem that has otherwise been unknown. And then that causes you to stand out because you have a customer who's sitting back and going, look at this. This person is thinking of me in ways that I hadn't even thought of me. What a beautiful way to know that somebody has your back. Wise words from Mario Martinez and another episode of The Buyer's Mind. And can I ask you, if you're enjoying The Buyer's Mind, please subscribe to it. One other thing here, too. If you know of an organization, if your organization or you know of an organization that is looking to bring in a keynote speaker for their next conference, I am booking out my 2020 calendar right now. This is a good time to be able to do that. Uh, you can reach out to me, Jeff, at jeffshore.com. Would love to talk to you about how I can help bring new solutions Solutions in a really fun and upbeat way to your next conference. As always, thanks for spending time with us here in the buyer's mind. And until next time, go out there and change someone's world. Mm-hmm.